Well, for the next three weeks, we're going to dive into a few verses that I think are going to be um, revolutional in how we live out our Christian life in our thoughts and the way we think and the way we process things. I was listening to a podcast, and this gentleman who's been in the ministry far longer than I have, and he's been all over the world, he said he has found that the vast majority of spiritual warfare is done in our minds. That spiritual warfare really happens in the mind more than it happens in dealing with demonic oppression or demonic possession or anything else that most of spiritual warfare happens individually for most people in the mind. And so what we're going to tackle for the next three weeks are three verses that if we take them, we learn from them and apply them in our lives, I think we'll find that mental strongholds in our minds can be brought down. The thought of I'm not good enough, the thought of I'll never measure up, the what-ifs that we measure in our minds can be destroyed if we'll follow these three verses, I don't know about you, but one of the things that social media has done to me, it has caused me to should on myself. I should have, I should, I should, I should, I should look like that, I should say that, I should be like this, I should. And so I'm always living up in my mind to somebody else's standard. Let me see your hands if, if, if that's you too. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm not alone. Thanks for helping me feel better this morning. We are a society, and when I say society, I mean Western culture with so social media. So my friends that I talk to in Europe or uh, people in Australia have the same problem. We should on ourselves because we see social media and we think that's the way it should be. I should be like that. I should think like that. And Paul says if you do that long enough, that becomes a mental stronghold. And in the few weeks, we'll get into what a stronghold is in the mind. But it has every bit to do with the way you believe and what you believe about yourself and the way you think about yourself. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look specifically at verses 3 through 5. We're going to look at these verses as it relates to spiritual warfare. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to have a lot of, a lot of references to war, to military, etc., because Paul uses that language when dealing with our minds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul has written to the church at Corinth, and he, and he finishes up talking about how nice he's been to them. And, he, and he, he talks about, you know, when I write to you, I'm in your face. But when I'm with you, I'm nice. And then he, he kind of gets to verse 3 here. And he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Okay, stop right there for a minute. In case you haven't figured this out, if you have given your life to Jesus, you are now at war. Okay? No longer peacetime, you are at war. Paul specifically says, we, 
talking to the Christians in Corinth, do not wage war. If you're a Christian, there is a war to be raged. We do not wage war as the world does. Verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So these three verses, we're going to cover one verse each week. So today, we're going to start with verse 3, and the closer we get to verse 5, the more enlightening it's going to get, because this deals a lot with our thought life. Paul does not mince Words. He says, for though we live, the word live is a Greek word peripatos. This is not an uncommon Greek word. It's a compound of two words, peri, to, to go around, okay? So if you have just washed your car and you go around it to find out where did, what spots did I miss. Why is it when you go through a car wash, they never get the back bumper? Does anybody own a car wash or work at a car wash? I want you to explain that to me at the end. Like, I took the van through, I took, I took my car through. It's always the back, like the back bumper, the top of the back bumper, license plate, it never gets washed, right? This is Perry, you walk around you, you, you go around something to see what's going on. Pathos is a Greek word for path. And so it literally means that you walk a path around something. And you keep walking this path around something. You keep going around it. It's how I felt as a teenager when my mom would come to check if my room was clean. Would you quit walking around trying to find something? Anybody, any teens feel like your parents do that on purpose, that they go around just to find something? Yes, I have some pointing to their parents, all right? Just know that the same thing happened to your parents. We like to pass it down. So someday, you'll get to do that to your kid. Walk around just to find something wrong, right? Your parents aren't, your parents aren't even backing me up this morning. All right. So peripathos, it means to walk a path around looking for something, that we're looking for something. He says, we live in this world. We walk around in this world. Everything that I do in this world is of the flesh, is what we're going to find out Paul is saying. I study in the flesh. I go to work in the flesh. I exercise in the flesh. I communicate in the flesh. Everything that I do is in the flesh in this world. I walk around in this world. I go, when I'm at work, I'm thinking about work. When I'm working out, I'm thinking about working out. When I'm hanging out with my friends and eating dinner and having a good time, it's, it's in the flesh. He says, I walk around in this world in the flesh. This is your locative sphere of influence. Where you walk around, where you work, where you hang out, this is your sphere of influence. This is where you operate in. And what happens is when you begin to operate in that area enough, that mindset begins to take a hold. Those desires begin to grow in you. We have 
neurological science to back this up. The people you hang out with, the conversations you have, literally affect the way your neurons grow and bunch in your brain. There's physical evidence of this. Physical evidence of this. People that are overly negative, their neurons are long and skinny, and then they branch out at the end. They look like palm trees. People that are positive, people that have a solid relationship with Jesus Christ, and people that are praying on a regular basis, their neurons are much shorter, thicker, and fuller. Don't believe me? You can YouTube it. All right? It's amazing what happens when you focus on what you're thinking, you focus on who you're running around, focus on the conversations you're having, you literally can rewire your brain. But for some of us, as Paul says here, some of us get strongholds in our mind, and we perpetually think that way, and we perpetually say those things, and some of us are just perpetually sarcastic because our brains are now wired that way. Some of us are perpetually negative. Some of us are perpetually doubting because our brains are wired that way. And that doubt and that sarcasm has taken a stronghold in our mind. And it has impacted the way we think and the way we operate. And so Paul says that we walk around in this world in our sphere of influence. In verse 3, he says... He says that as we walk around, we live in this world, but we as Christians do not wage war like the world does. Well, how does the world wage war? Well, the world wages war physically with weapons and hand-to-hand combat and missiles and so on. The world wages war physically. So Paul says that as a Christian, our war is in the spiritual world and in the world of the mind, and it must be waged differently. It must be waged differently. Wage war comes from the Greek word stratetuo, stratetuo, and it literally means a soldier who is in the middle of a war in a trench, waiting to rise up and fire his gun. Paul says, Christians, you are in a trench right now. You're in a trench. Now, of course, they didn't have guns in Paul's day, but they did have, perhaps sometime in the coming weeks or months, we'll talk about spiritual armor, but they did have flaming arrows. In fact, the Romans had different types of arrows that they would use. One of the arrows was a bomb, and it looked like a normal arrow that would shoot. But literally what this arrow was is that the, the spear, the head of the spear, was a chemical compound mixture. And they would f- launch it, and when those chemicals hit, it would explode. And so they would launch, literally launch bombs with arrows at their enemies, So when Paul writes in Ephesians 6 that the flaming arrows that your faith, the shield of faith puts out the flaming arrows, those are the arrows he's he's talking about, the bombs, literally, that the Roman Empire would launch with, with their archers. They would launch bombs and explode. He goes, your shield of faith is strong enough to withstand 
the bombardment of these bomb arrows. So Paul uses this word, and he says, listen, guys, if you're a Christian, you're in a trench. And the soldier that's in the trench isn't thinking about how they're going to decorate their Christmas tree this year. Is that a shocker for anybody? Probably not, right? What do you think we're thinking about when you're in that trench? I, I remember I had a friend when I, when I worked on a government contract, and he was in Air Force Intelligence. And part of his job when we, when we went into Iraq um, shortly after 2001, September 11th, he was in Air Force Intelligence, and his job was to identify all of the SAMs, uh, surface-to-air missiles, that they might fire at our stealth bombers. And so his job was to locate those, track the movement of those across Iran and Iraq. That was part of his job. And then he would take that data, and then he would upload it up into an F-117 Nighthawk or a B-2, and he would upload that data into, and he was working out of a military base in the West, and so they would fly, especially the B-2s, they would literally fly them from the West Coast, drop the bombs in Iraq, and then fly back. So they did not have to land anywhere in between where the military base was on the West Coast or Iraq. They could fly there and back in one trip because they fly so high speed, etc. They can refuel in the air, one trip, there and back, drop bombs, get back. And so he would upload this data, and they, they jokingly called the pilots monkeys. That was their nickname, the monkeys. Not the group, for some of you. And the reason they called them monkeys is because they lived on bananas while they were flying, because they needed the potassium in their body. And so they would live on bananas as they were flying. And the, the bomber, literally, because of his intelligence gathering, would fly around the sands and get missed. But at some point, the closer it got to the target, the pilot had to take over. And he had to stay focused, because sometimes the intelligence data in the B-2 or the F-117 was outdated by the time they got there, because Iraq had moved their SAMs around. And so the pilot had to pay attention. He's in the trenches. He's got to be focused. And here's what I want to tell you. Paul says, you're in the trenches. You can no longer fly on autopilot anymore. You can no longer allow your mind just to think whatever it wants. You can't just let thoughts and feelings and emotions run through. You have to say, that's a desire that doesn't line up to the word of God. Stop. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. You can't be on autopilot and live the Christian life. It won't work. You will get shot down. You will say, well, that didn't work because of whatever. You will get shot down because you will allow your mind to run rampant. Right? And so Paul says you're in the trenches. You have to be focused. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says this. No one, this is Paul writing Timothy, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. He says, you, listen, a soldier, the monkey, who's flying the B-2, dropping bombs, isn't concerned about what's being written in the local paper. 
He's not concerned with civilian affairs. He's not worried about who's winning the prices right. He's not concerned about that. He's not concerned about whatever somebody posted on social media. He's concerned about keeping his potassium level up so he can focus when he gets to the destination to do what needs to be done. But too many Christians sit on autopilot. I'll just go to church and I'll just do my devotions. And, and, and then you wonder why when you get hit, what happened? Well, I was just trusting that the data that I was downloading to my brain would get me through everything. I got news for you. Your enemy moves. Your enemy adjusts. And he's going to come at you. And so Paul says you have to stay focused. You have to stay vigilant every day. You have to stay vigilant. This is why elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul says, I pray without ceasing. I constantly have an attitude of prayer because I don't know when the enemy is going to attack. He might attack while you're plowing the field. He might attack in the middle of the night while you're laying in bed. We don't know when the enemy is going to attack. We have to stay focused. He will attack you with depression. He will attack you with should-haves. He will attack you with what-ifs. He will attack you with everything in your mind, and he will shoot his flaming arrows, as Ephesians 6 says. He will shoot flaming arrows. You know what happened when those arrows hit? Not only did they explode, but the chemicals in them created fire. So not only would it blow up, but it basically was like a miniature napalm bomb on the tip of the arrow. And so whatever it hit, if it was burnable, it would combust and go up into, into flames. How many times have we had a, had a thought or an emotion that hits us, we let it stay long enough, and it begins to consume like a wildfire in our mind. It begins to consume all of our thoughts that we can't even think straight. Me, me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like exempt from this because I'm a pastor, right? I remember last week, we took a vacation to the Black Hills and we were sleeping in the cabin. We had the windows open at night. And Thursday morning, I remember this specifically, Thursday morning we woke up to the smell of fire, like a bonfire. And I looked right at Lynn, didn't I? I said, something smells like, and you go like fire, like a bonfire. I said, yes. What is that? Like, we put the fire out. We put the campfire out last night, right? Like, we just created an entire forest fire in the Black Hills. That would be something that your pastor would do. And so, no, our neighbor, who happens to be on uh, the fire territory for Black Hills National Forest and whatever, said, no, 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 those are the wildfires in Montana, and it's blowing the smoke over to South Dakota. And so what you're smelling are the wildfires in Montana. You see, when fire begins to get going, it will consume everything. And when the enemy launches these arrows and attacks our minds, if we're not careful, if we don't stay focused, if we don't use our shield of faith to say, no, the Bible says this, and I believe this over what I feel, and I believe this over what I desire, I believe this over what I think I am, I believe this over what social media tells me, I believe this over everything else, if we don't put that shield of faith up, the fire will run rampant. And people, the smoke will leave. And your neighbors, your friends at work and other people say, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? And the smoke's getting out. Because you've let the thought begin to consume you. And then it begins to consume your emotions and your desires. It consumes your relationships. It begins to impact other people around you. And so Paul says we have to stay vigilant, being focused. But Paul did something interesting. 
Paul had this mindset because he went into cities like Ephesus and Corinth, cities that were demonically oppressed and people that were demonically possessed and cities that were, had given themselves to Roman and Greek gods, and we won't get into the worship of those gods. It was rampant in those cities. He goes into places like Crete, the island of Crete, who were, they were barbaric and, and just nasty type people. They would rather shoot you before they even talk to you. Some of you have neighbors like that, right? Like they put signs up like, keep talking, I'm reloading, those sort of things, right? Due to shortage of ammo, there'll be no warnings. You know, all those kind of signs. That's, that's the island of Crete. That's the island of Crete. Paul's like, yeah, I'm going to go there and start a church. Paul goes into Ephesus or Corinth where homosexuality just runs wild and rampant and it's a normal way of life. And Paul goes, I'm going to go in there and start a church. I'm going to go in here where they practice, they don't know it, they say they're being possessed by the Greek gods, but it's really demons. Paul's like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to start a church. You see, Paul had a certain mentality about his faith. Paul had a certain way of thinking. I was listening to one of the, I listened to several podcasts, and one of the podcasts I listened to is led by a former Navy SEAL commander, and he talks about in their training, he goes, we are trained to go in and draw first blood. We crave drawing first blood. He goes, we don't, we don't crave to kill another human being, but when it comes time, we want it. We want to be the one that strikes first. We strike hard, we strike fast, right? He goes, we want that. That's what we're trained for, to draw first blood. This was the mentality Paul had but in the spiritual realm. I'm going in and I'm drawing first blood. And I'm going to hit hard and I'm going to hit fast. And Paul would go into places like Ephesus and Corinth and Crete and be like, I know your culture is different. Than Ephesus, I know your culture is different than Crete and Corinth. I know your culture is different than Ephesus and Crete and all these things. But I'm going to go in here and spiritually I'm going to draw first blood. And I'm going to attack the enemy before he attacks me. But too many of us are like, okay, just get me through my day. Jesus didn't come and die to get you through your day. I, sorry, he didn't. He came to empower you to conquer the enemies in your life so that you can go out and spread the gospel and be like Paul and say, I'm going into this culture or that culture or those people or I'm going over there so that I can spiritually draw first blood and tell them about Jesus because there's a new way to be human because of what Jesus did on the cross and through the grave and sitting the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. That's what we're commissioned to do. You don't do that sitting in these pews. You don't. You do that out there. Hey, can I share Jesus with you? Can I tell you how Jesus transformed my thought? Can I tell you how Jesus transformed my attractions and my actions? Can I tell you how Jesus changed everything about me? And then I want you to come meet this crazy family of people that have had the same experience. That's what Jesus died for. So that in that process, we might return his creation to him that one day he's coming back for. That's the mentality. Listen, don't take this out of context, but a Christian should have a killing mentality. I'm going out into that world, out into that battlefield, that war zone out there, and I'm going to share Jesus. And yes, 
the enemy is going to shoot some flaming arrows at me that will try to explode in my mind and catch my thought life on fire. But I'm going to douse it with faith because I believe in the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to draw first blood. Like Rambo. That was a horrible movie reference, right? But seriously, that's our job. That's what we're commissioned to do. And he says, we don't war, in verse 3, he says, we don't war as the world does. This is a huge statement. This is a, this is a very big statement. I want you to understand what he's saying in this passage. How does the world do things? You and I are not of this world anymore. If you've accepted Jesus, you're not part of this world. You live in it, but you're not a part of it, Right? When I go hiking and I pitch my tent, I'm in nature. <laughs> I am not of nature. Are you with me? Right? I go out and I live in it for a few days, but I come back to the bathtub and the air conditioning and the soft bed because I'm really more of civilization than I am of nature. Right? I'm just in it. For, so, so you are a Christian. You are a citizen of heaven living in the world. He goes, as the world does. What does the world the world operates without faith. See, the world says that seeing is believing. If I see it, if, I can, if there's proof, if there's data, if there's proof, then I'll put my faith in it and I'll, I'll believe. But the Christian world says, no, 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 I believe and then I see. I have to see it, then I have to believe it. But the Christian says, no, I believe it. And as I begin to believe, my eyes are open and I begin to see. The world does things without faith. There is no faith in the world, right? They do believe in things for sure because every man has a belief system that's based on something. Even the unbeliever who doesn't believe in Jesus has a belief system, a belief based on something. But to have faith, you see, the world operates without faith. In fact, uh, helps word studies which is a tool pastors use to help them study scripture. Help, see, helps. It's pretty simple. This is what it says about this particular phraseology of these words. Thus, what is of the flesh, carnal, is by definition displeasing to the Lord. Even things that seem respectable, in short, flesh generally relates to unaided human effort. You know, unaided human effort. I'm a self-made man or woman. I can do this on my own. I can live life. I think there was a big song in the 60s by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. Let me tell you something. Anybody who's singing that song and seriously believing it are probably not getting to heaven. Because the whole point of the gospel is you can't do this life on your own. You need help. You need help. Actually, what I was thinking about this morning was just, I was thinking about deconstructing that song for you line by line this morning, but I decided I didn't want to bore you, and then I would ruin one of your favorite songs. However, if you take your own time and begin to deconstruct deconstruct that song line by line, you'll go, oh my gosh, this is not biblical at all. In fact, I 
would encourage you to, a lot of the songs that you listen to on the radio, start deconstructing them line by line and taking them apart. It's not pretty what we're singing and filling our minds with. And then what happens, it gets in your head, it becomes a stronghold, and it's hard to get it out. Things come natural or easy based on our natural, sinful desires. I don't need God. I can do this myself. Just be you. You've heard me say this before. You know, oh, just be you. No, don't be you. Please, be Jesus with your gifts, talents, and callings. Become more in the image of God because to be you is to be separate from God. And so when we think about what helps word study says and what Paul's really saying, this carnal, this flesh, this, this carnal of the flesh, and it proceeds out of the untouched or unchanged part of us. What is not transformed by God? When, when Paul says we don't, f this world, there's a part of you that until you come to God and come to Jesus with everything you are, self, mind, will, and emotions, unless you bring that all to him, that's carnal. It's carnal. You have to let God touch every part of you. Every part of you. So here's my question as we begin to deconstruct and break down some of the next two verses over the next two weeks, my question to you is this. Do you have a killer mentality about your faith? And do you have a killer mentality about your thoughts that run in your mind? And do you tell your thoughts to shut up? One of my favorite passages is when Jesus calms the wind and the waves. In our English Bible, it's so nice and sweet. You know what Jesus literally says in the Greek? He tells the winds and waves to shut up and sit down. Like, very sternly, very meanly, Jesus tells the wind to shut up. And if I could strongly say this, waves, put your butt in that seat and don't get back up. He's very mean and stern. But we say Jesus told the winds and waves to stop. In the Greek, it's shut up, put your butt in that seat, and sit down. Almost like that parent that's had enough of their kid running around, right? Right? That's like Jesus, the parent of nature. Shut up, put your butt in the seat, and sit down. That's killer mentality. Thought life, you're not thinking that. Shut up and stop it in the name of Jesus. I take authority over this. Think about what Paul's writing in closing. I want you to think about what Paul's writing. Paul is fluent in multiple languages. He's highly educated. He, and by today's standards, he would have several doctorates. He's a well-known leader in both Judaism and Christianity. He's a wonderful or orator. He can speak fluently. He's great. He's a man of renown. And yet he says, with all of my learning and all of my education and all of my ability, I am no match for Satan if Satan comes at me. I've got to have something else. And that something else is Jesus. That something else is the power of the Holy Spirit operating in, in and through him. 
I want to close with this story. As we talk about killer mentality and as a Christian taking control of our thought life, when Navy SEALs go into train, they go into what they call hell week, and they get four or five hours of sleep the entire week. They, in one story that I've read, they, they load those giant rubber life rafts, and they, load, they don't load them with air. They load them with sand. And these big old life rafts filled with sand, and they put them in groups of six, and there's a leader, and they have to race across the beach, through the jungle, but they have to carry those big old rafts over their heads, and the rafts cannot come down, or they lose, and then there's consequences. And they have to cut through the jungle this way, they have to run the beach this way, and whichever team finishes first, they get a rest for an hour. The other five teams have to do it again. They will run through the beach. They will have sand in their shorts. They will chafe. There will be blood running down their legs. They will get cut. Mind you, they're doing this with no sleep. And they're running. And they're going. And all of the other things that they have to do during hell week. At camp, when they go back to camp and they're able to sleep, up on a hill where they train is a bell. Much like what's out in the lobby. If a SEAL in training can't cut it, they are allowed to go up the hill, ring the bell three times, no questions asked, they're sent back to another position. And they don't cut it, and they don't become a SEAL. And every podcast I've listened to and every book that I've read said, you know what the difference is between those that ring the bell and those that don't? Because only 20% of those that go into SEAL training come out as SEALs, 20%. You know what the difference is? Their mentality. The SEALs that make it through are not thinking about the bell. They're thinking about the end goal of being a SEAL. They're thinking about the end result. What do I have to think on to get me through this situation? Because I'm not ringing that bell. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. Don't ring the bell. You can get through it. It's only a week. It's only a month. I don't care how much sleep you've had or how much you haven't had. Don't ring the bell. Because that's what the enemy wants. He'll take you out. No questions asked. Boom. They say that as they're sleeping at night, it's nothing to hear the bell go off all week, all three weeks long, however long it is. It's nothing to hear the bell go off. And they just roll over and go back to sleep. Yep, another guy didn't make it. It goes off so much they don't even think about it. I want to tell you, don't ring the bell. You will make it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. You take control of those thoughts. And we'll look at, in the next coming weeks, what God has to say about taking control of our thoughts. This morning, we're not going to close out with a song, but if you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, you need, maybe, maybe you have a, a, a driving thought that controls your mind and you want prayer for that. I want to pray with you this morning. Steve, I'm going to ask you to come up here and we can pray. If you're here this morning and you, 
Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never said, Jesus, I want you to come control my life. And Jesus, I want to get on your plan and what you want to do in this world. If that's you, I invite you this morning to come forward. We want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to give you the next 10, 15 seconds just to think through your own spiritual life. Do you have a killer mentality? Do you aggressively pursue those negative thoughts and those thoughts that don't line up to the word of God? Do you aggressively pursue those in your life and make them get out? Do you aggressively pursue those outside the four walls of this church? Do you aggressively pursue them? Do you look to draw first blood on Satan's kingdom or do you wait for them to come hit you? It's a different mentality. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. God, as we leave this place, I ask that we would all examine our thoughts and our minds, examine our lives, examine our desires and our passions, that we would aggressively pursue and demolish those thoughts that are not found in your word, that are not of you. And Lord, like anything in nature, it craves to fill a void. Lord, may we fill that thought void with the word of God. May we fill that void with what you say about us and what you say about the world out there, that we may love them and love them well enough. Because we don't wage war like the world. We wage with love and acceptance and faith and patience and joy and happiness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise you, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 You guys have a great week.